So uh, would you please uh, all join me in a short word of prayer before we start this forum. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the lessons that we have to learn in this topic actually are quite simple. But we're asking you now, Lord, to make this a heart issue for each one of us and teach us, teach us, Father, that it is all yours. Everything that we have is yours. We ask you, Lord, to impress this on our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you can tell by the, uh, uh, by the background here that we're into the green today, right, as we're going to be talking about money management. And... Uh, <clears throat> uh, there might be two reasons why I was asked to do this topic. So one is we did discuss this a few years ago in a Wednesday night Bible series in Syracuse. And I kind of prompted that and, and led a part of it, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but there probably is another reason. I would like to start off with a question, though, that leads to that. So my question is, what is the quickest way to lose friends? And the answer is... What's that? Talk with them about their personal finances. Okay. It takes less than that, okay? You talk with people about their personal finances, okay? And you've already hit on a spot here that is sacred ground, okay? So, we made this easy on you. You've got this white slip that you've all taken on the way in, okay? And this is your opportunity for you to write out when we're done that as a result of this forum, Brother Scott has lost me as a friend forever in life. Okay, okay so if you don't know what to write, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of an idea of something that you can write. So um, here's a few other questions for you. So fill in the blank here. We all, we all um, I think, know these verses, right? But as we read them with each other, from the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against there is no law. Okay, and uh, in, in modern language, temperance actually means self-control, right? Um, if we would have been in... 1920 in America and used the word temperance, what would it have meant? No alcohol, right? It was limited to no alcohol, okay? But our, you know, our modern cultural context is it's about, it's about self-control. So, now the next question is, what are the three leading, this is personal, what are the three leading indicators in your life of self-control? You, you, might, you, might, you might guess these, but I don't want to torture you. Kind of, they're simple. They're very, very simple. Okay? The first leading indicator is what you eat. Okay? This says something about personal self-control. What goes into your mouth. The second thing is what comes out of your mouth. Okay? Is also a personal measure of self-control. The third thing is, is what today's forum is about, is about how you spend God's money. Okay, now I put this actually in, 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 in kind of a punchy way here, right? How we spend God's money, because that is one of the underlying themes of this whole topic of personal financial management, and that's for us to realize that it's not ours. We are stewards of this, but it is not ours. What we have belongs to somebody else. So uh, the basis of the forum is actually from uh, what was one time called Christian Financial Ministries by Larry Burkett, which has now become Crown Financial. I just brought a copy with you here of a life group study guide that is sort of like a 10-week biblical tour de force of what the Bible teaches about personal money management. And uh, I would strongly encourage people to do this. Um, 
and the way that I've put this over here is that this is recommended for every Christian worker. There's a reason why I say that. I mean every believer. But I'm putting it this way, that this is a topic for every Christian worker because managing our finances has a larger theme at the end. It's not about us. Managing our personal finances is all about making personal contributions to the kingdom. And God wants us to manage our personal finances in a way that he actually can transfer his resources and assets through us into kingdom work. This is his whole goal. Now, I do want to mention that, um, as I understand it from my elder friends in the sister church, that this is endorsed and, and, uh, and formally encouraged by them to actually have their believers go through this. Now, um, on their website that's called acpublications.org, you can find a free copy of all of the Bible verses that are used in this study group manual. It's about seven pages. I've referenced a couple of them here, but you can go onto that website, and it's for free. That's a PDF of every Bible verse from every section in this book. Now, I really want to encourage people that would be interested in this, come and see me. I can help you get lined up for how do you find these resources at Crown Financial and start with people that you, that you might know that would be interested in this. Okay, now, you know, what this forum is about, okay, it is going to be about how to manage God's resources. And I can't emphasize enough, I want to impress this idea on us. Too many of us think we earned it, it's ours. I mean, that's just, that's just the way that we think. And for many people, it actually would be offensive if you're going to try to point out with them, no, it's not really yours. I know that you might have invested the time. It's your blood sweat, I know, but who gave you the breath? Who gave you the health? Who gave you all of the other things to make this? It's not ours. And yet in our Eden world, in our consumer-based Eden world that we're living in, we have persuaded ourselves to think that it's ours. You know, the purpose here is that we all want to hear when we meet the Lord, this is what we want to hear, right? We really want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of our Lord. And I'm convinced that we all want to hear that. That is a firm desire on our heart. So we have to work with each other with what the Bible says about what are the prerequisites such that this is the greeting that we get when we meet our Father. Okay, I've already made this point, but this is also about learning how we can be more effective in God's kingdom agenda. In his kingdom agenda. He has called people to faith and people to work in his kingdom so that through them he can channel the resources that he's given for his purposes. And if I'm going to ask people, who wants to be involved in God's kingdom work? I'm glad to say that there is an ever-growing press, in the, especially in the newer generation, that people on their heart really want to engage in kingdom work. They want to learn how to do this. They want somebody to teach them how do they engage in kingdom work. Well, for all of you Christian workers, this is probably the first part of it. You learn how to manage your money well, and that is the, 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 the ticket. That's the entrance ticket into actually learning how to be more effective in kingdom work. So this is about learning also how to gain self-control in a consumer-based and materialistic culture. Now, things are different. Things are different for this culture that we are living in, in not only post-World War II, but even post-60s and 70s, that the press of the culture toward consumer-based materialism is super, super strong. And I think Edmund made the point last night that all our electronics are part of the press of to getting us to engage in this. Now, we as believers then need to take more active roles to be able to counter the press of the world around us. Okay? And this is also going to be part of what God expects of you. God expects this of you. And he expects this of me. 
that these things that he teaches in his word are not just a good idea. These things that he teaches in his word for us are, mean, are meant to be the baseline, the baseline of how we conduct our spiritual and earthly affairs. I'm hoping that you're going to appreciate the strength of the Bible teaching about money. Now, I want to make a point. In the way this is going to come out, I might have attached a Bible verse to each one of these points that sure looks like it's proof texting. You make one point, you quote a verse. Make another point, you quote a verse. Right? And, and I, I'm not citing all the verses because we couldn't do that. But what this meant to be, is meant to be, this presentation, is going to be a resource for you until you get to the point where you're willing to make a commitment to this. A resource for you to be able to go home, look at the PowerPoint presentation, get familiar with these ideas, and if you want to look at the scripture verses that support these things, I've given you a primer of one. Now, for every one of the points, there are many, many scripture verses that one could and should look at. They're all in here, and they're all in the PDF that I was mentioning from the Sister Church website. Okay, but this is a teaser to try to get people to think about this in a more serious way. Now, especially, this is intended to be an overview, not a deep dig in the scripture. The deep dig is going to be up to you, but I'm going to give you the resources to do that. This is meant to be an overview. Now, who can this forum serve? In a broad sense, it's meant for all present. Whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer, it's meant for all present. But... It is also specifically for, for those that find themselves in a kind of financial stress and they're looking for a way out. Now, there are all kinds of things that can happen in life that bring about financial stress. Some of the things are things of our choosing because of our choices. Sometimes things happen that are outside of our choosing, that happen in life that are financial stresses. But I know that there are people that are actively looking for ways to how they can better manage these things. This, of course, is for those who lack the necessary self-control to be freed, freed from the kind of bondage that finances can sometimes impose upon our life. This is especially for those who recognize themselves as kingdom workers, and they want to find a way how they can more engage in kingdom work. And I, I can't emphasize this point enough, okay? So I'm going to be honest with you. I really only started learning about these things seriously started learning about these things when I was in my late 40s, okay? There was no um, either um, emphasis in this or no means for me as a young person, as a single person, as a young married person to understand these principles. But this is who this is really for. I mean, really, it, this should almost be obligatory in some ways that, you know, a couple wants to get married, that's fine, the honeymoon lasts for three months, and then you do Crown Financial. Okay? In certain cases, you might do Crown Financial before the honeymoon ends. Okay? But, I mean, this is important enough that this will establish the kind of baseline in life, especially because long-term debt patterns are established early. Now, I want to make a point about a huge change. I saw this even in our discussions in Syracuse. There is a generational aspect to this that is vastly different. Okay, we have to understand this. My dad, when my dad learned his trade, had to go to school, but my dad had a way of making money while he was learning his trade. And the money that he made more than paid for his schooling. That's the way it was in the post-World War II age in which he lived. <laughs> Things wind up changing up until now that in some certain serious professions, the medical professions or other professions, Kids get out of school and they have six figures of debt before they've earned their first dollar. Okay? That fact alone has changed many, many things about how we view debt, how we manage debt. Certain people can't understand what's the big issue. I've gotten through life mostly with no debt. For other people, working with debt is just taken for granted. Even the way debt is managed is different. You know, when my dad bought a house in Teaneck, New Jersey, he, he might have borrowed money from Tante Barbara. If not from Tante Barbara, he borrowed money from another cousin where he paid $20,000 for a house and a cousin gave him $12,000 interest-free 
and he paid back that $12,000 whenever he could. And they paid it back quickly, but they got infantry money within the family. Now, people actually want to you know, go into debt. Nobody has that kind, nobody has that kind of, uh, of free cash around. You have to go someplace else to find it. It comes at interest rates, 30-year loans. Okay, it's totally different. It's totally different. So we have to understand this. So this forum is not going to be a forum about wealth management. It's not going to be about how to keep your lifestyle into retirement. Sorry. Sorry. That's not what this is about. This actually might be going the other way. This might be challenging you to consider the lifestyle you are planning to have in retirement and even asking you at that point in your life, are you sure you don't want to be a kingdom worker? You sure? You don't want to have a lifestyle change to think about how God's resources are going to be used before you meet him. Okay, four simple truths. How we handle money impacts our relationship with God. We think of this the other way around. We think about how our relationship with God impacts how we use money. That's true. That's true. But you realize there's another part of this. The corollary to this is how we handle money impacts our fellowship with God. It's a two-way street in the way that this works. Okay? Money and possessions compete with the Lord for the first place in our life. Nobody's going to argue with this, right? This is just the reality of the culture that we live in. Money and possessions compete with the Lord being first in our life. God wants us to be money-wise. So you might not guess this, but if we're going to look at the verses that talk about money, did you know that in the Bible... There are far more verses that talk about money, finance, and how we handle money than any other theme in the Bible. More verses about money than about salvation. More verses about money than about heaven. Okay, 2,300 verses in the Bible that talk about money. Now, I've done one little thing um, for myself. You might be interested in doing this. So most of us use electronic devices when we read the Bible. We have the ability to highlight those things. Okay. As I have come across them in my Bible, when it talks about money, it gets highlighted in green. Okay? Normal verses that I highlight in my Bible, I highlight in yellow. Verses that are really of particular significance to me, I highlight in royal blue. Okay? That's just the way. But you actually might want to think, as you're doing your Bible study and as you're learning things about this, to consider making markers in your Bible in some way to remind yourself that this teaching has to do with the way I handle my money. Okay? Our handling of money is evidence of our spiritual maturity. We'd like to think that there are other things that are indicators of our spiritual maturity. But this is one of the indicators of our spiritual maturity. And this, my friend, there's no hiding from this. When we stand naked before God, there's no hiding from this. He views this as an indicator of our spiritual maturity. Now, I did an informal survey of the leadership in our church and asked them, what percentage of your congregation do you think is struggling with financial issues? I I was careful when I asked them that. I'm not saying that people have financial problems like they're on the verge of bankruptcy. I'm I'm just, in a very general way, dealing with financial issues in their life, okay? And this was the response that I got, that they felt that 40 to 50% of the membership finances are a driving force in people's lives. They are a driving force. It could be because of debt, okay? It could be because of ambitions. It could be because of other things they have in their life. But, you know, their estimate was that 40 to 50% of our congregations are experiencing life-altering behaviors, okay, because of financial issues in their life. Okay? So we should all be paying attention to this. The primary reasons for not managing our finances well, I've looked into my own life, so I'm sharing with you, from my experience, what the reasons are for not really being good at this. The first one is, is that we actually lack the organization in our lives to be able to be better managers of it. It takes effort. It takes effort to be able to do it. In our own life experience, I probably tried three, four, or five times to bring some sort of reasonable organization to how we're managing our money. And the struggle was we could, I couldn't keep up with the constant time that was needed to be able to do it. And eventually it just got diluted and pitted away. And before you know it, six months later, you are back to not having a clue 
about where things really were. So this was three, four, five times. Okay? Now we're in a better way. Electronics has helped. There's more convenient tools that we can use on our iPhones on things like that that will help us keep track of these things and get it organized. The other thing is the lack of periodic review. So you might be keeping information, but you've got to force yourself to periodically review it and even do some basic work in the beginning, which I'm going to show you, to get an assessment of where you really are. This takes work. This takes work and effort. And quite often, we, just, we, we don't want to spend our time thinking about these kinds of things, but the things we have to. We have to be able to do this. And this is a real big one, is that when you're going to get going with this, I promise you, you want to start getting control of your finances in a better way, it will be accompanied by feelings of guilt, feelings of shame. It will. That's, that's the way it is. Okay? So one of the things that we have to learn also to deal with is to learn to deal with our guilt and deal with our shame when we're doing these things that can still bring it out to a good end. Now, something that I, here's a life lesson that I learned Okay, before we go to the next slide. You know, gaining financial discipline is a journey. You've got to approach it this way. You're not going to just start doing it and it's going to work. This is going to be a life journey that you start to be walking along the way to be able to manage this. And you'll make certain steps. You might reach plateaus for a while. You've gotten to one place and then you're ready to look for another and, and to grow from that and so on. So don't think this is something that's a one-time fix. It's not. It's a journey that you actually go on, and I guess part of our challenge is can we find a joy in the journey? Is there a way that we can actually make this fun? So here's one of the other life lessons I learned. There was a time when I was younger, I studied piano for seven years, and I studied with a teacher that wasn't very good, to be honest. She was a next-door neighbor. It was convenient. Just had to walk right next door. She wasn't very good. I had an interest in music, but my playing was very, very sloppy, and the basic strength that I needed in my fingers and in my hands, the accuracy was not there. I decided at some point to go to um, a teacher who I would really say is a professor. He was a professor of piano. And he recognized my problem, and the first thing that he actually taught me was, mentally, Scott, how are you going to learn in your piano playing to take something that's a weakness and to make it your strength. How can you learn to take something that frustrates you and you're not good at and be able to turn this right round on its head and to be able to take something that you're weak at and actually make it a strength and actually have something like fun along the way of how you're taking a weakness and making it a strength. Now that's what this is all about because some of us maybe are naturally strong in this, most of us are not so strong in this. It's going to be largely about your attitude toward this. Are you actually willing to find a way? And it actually can be fun. It can be fun to find a way to take something that is a relative weakness and turn it into a strength for God. You know, because we're motivated to do it for the right things. So I'm going to blow through some of these things rather quickly that are, that are lessons from the book to give you a flavor, okay, of what these nine lessons are talking about. The first thing is to start talking about what God's role is. What God's role is in the managing of our finances. And there are themes like us recognizing his lordship over us. And acknowledging his lordship in this area. In recognizing God's ownership over these things. This is hard sometimes for us to realize it's really not mine. I think that I have a free choice with this. And the real answer before God is, I don't have a free choice with this. You know, this is something that he's also asking me to lay at his feet. Recognizing that he will accomplish his intentions. You know what? His kingdom work is going to come about with your help or without it. He don't need me. He don't need me. But he's asking me to join in taking up the yoke in participating in the kingdom work. Okay? And so this is the challenge for all of us about whether or not we're going to be willing participants recognizing that God develops our character through our learning about our finances. There are many ways that God develops our character, but this is one way through learning about this that God will actively develop our character. And he will also at the same time, as he's the father, will discipline us through this process. Okay? We are sometimes disciplined, not only by the choices that we make in life, 
but in other things that we're struggling with, that finances becomes one way that the Lord is actually trying to get us to be better disciples. Okay, and of course, recognizing in the end, if we do this well, about the great provider that God really is. In our lives and in our finances, the great provider that he really is. Now, this might seem a little bit hokey, but I wonder actually who here has the courage to do this. So this is, it looks like a legal document that's called a quit claim deed. I'll show you one that's filled out. And this couple that did this actually went through the basic analysis of their assets, okay, and listed them all down. And just like a marriage license, wrote down all these assets and in the presence of another witness who will hold them accountable, formally declared that these things are not mine, these things are God's. Okay? Now, some of us can do that in our hearts and we wouldn't need to go the whole hog. Some of us think that we do it in our hearts and when it really comes down to it, we're going to forget about this. And others of us maybe might feel a need that there might be a value. There might be a value for me to write down, at least at this moment in time, everything that is really a value that I own and to make a formal public statement saying that these things are not mine, these things are God's and have that play a role in changing my heart as to how these things are managed. Okay, our role, you know, part of our role is to be faithful in the things that we're given. Okay, and what faithfulness looks like will change in the course of time. Okay, so let me tell you, there there have been times, so we moved five years ago from a basement, you know, a house with a basement to a house with a lot smaller basement, and I was shocked and ashamed at the time that we moved to find out the things that we had accumulated that were sitting in our basement. Things that when I purchased them seemed like it was, a, it was a good idea. It was a fair idea. It was a reasonable idea. And then only to find out that those things were actually not used with the frequency that I had intended was actually not a good purchase because of the lack of um, work that I had done to decide on what the thing was. But anyway, the point was we had a basement filled with things that we ultimately had to wind up putting in storage for a period of time that were largely useless. And I had to ask myself, this is, this is one way God is disciplining me. When I saw that storage shed filled and knew that I was paying $125 a month for stuff that I bought at one time that seemed to have made sense, right? For me to ask myself, what were you thinking? My son, what were you thinking? And, you know, at, at the time, it's, it seemed like it was reasonable. And then things change in life. And you mature. And you have different views. And you go to someplace else on the journey where you actually view these things different. Okay, ours, our role, of course, is to be faithful in every area of life. Now, there's, there's some of us that it's easier for us to be faithful in some areas and less faithful in others. This is an area that's pretty private. So the only one that really knows you're being faithful in this area is you and God. It's the honor system. Okay? Until we get into a crisis, a real crisis, and then things maybe become public, which is not, uh, I, I'm not advocating that crises are anything to be ashamed about. Life happens. Things happen to people. That's not the point. But the point is, is that we want to be faithful in all areas. To learn to become discerning, you know, of our needs from our wants what the difference is between those things in the way God views it, okay? And to understand the benefits of handling money more faithfully, you know, to seek more intimate fellowship with Jesus, you know, to be continually refining our character from the way, actually, that we choose to use the resources that God gives us, and ultimately to have a peace in having our finances in order. That's the step that happened, when my fingers were so weak and so sloppy at playing the piano that I mastered my first piece and I could play it really well from memory at lightning fast speeds and get everything right the first time where you suddenly realize, you know what? I mean, there's really ground has been covered here. Ground has been covered. And other things now are within the realm of possibilities of where one could go. The principles of faithfulness Okay, the Bible teaches us that if we waste possessions, God has said 
that he has the right to remove us from being stewards of those possessions and they might be given to someone else. He can reclaim that right. Okay, we have to be faithful in the little things in life before we're going to be granted responsibility over big things in life. And our finances are some of the first little things that we actually can gain control over. Okay? Realizing that we have to be faithful with somebody else's possessions. Okay, that's even a different level of accountability than if we consider something our own. So, get informed. So, here's how awake can start. Okay? So, you know, getting a grasp of where you are in your personal life means that you've got to do some work in, in, in getting a baseline. Okay? So, these kinds of sheets like this are part of the workbook. You know, if one wants to do things in paper, it was easiest for me to just scan these things and put in the presentation. But of course, you know, there are all kinds of modern tools that one can use for this, okay? One that we use now actually is called Mint. It used to be part of uh, Quicken, the Quicken package, it's free, okay? And it will allow you to establish budgets um, on all your electronic devices and it will record things automatically as you make transactions in your bank and so on, this stuff will all be downloaded for you. In fact, it is actually, it, it is smart enough to know that if I'm going places, when you're putting things into this, say you deal with cash. Some people, which is not a bad idea, okay, you're making cash transactions, you gotta put that in somehow. If I'm at Home Depot and I open this thing up, it actually knows that I'm at Home Depot and I'm probably gonna be making a purchase at Home Depot, okay? And I make the purchase, and I put it in there, and then it immediately comes back and tells me if I'm over budget, that irritating sound that comes when it's telling me that I'm already over budget for our home things for this month, it automatically comes up and tells you, or you can check your budget and see where you are, okay? But these things are, are available now to, uh, to you know, be able to do that, where you don't need to keep all the, all the tracking on your own. But you've got to start someplace and get an idea, what are your assets and what are your liabilities? N none of us really want to know our net worth in that regard. This is not, this is not the, you know, the Nebuchadnezzar thing about going and counting, or the David thing, counting how, how, you, how big your troops are, okay? This is actually to do an assessment about where are our debts compared to other things in life, okay? They have these kinds of spending plans of how one can actually track monthly. Um, the, the, so this is by the, do, do I have a laser on here? I probably do, I just don't know how to use it. Is it? That's not it, okay, sorry. I'm gonna, oh, maybe this one. There you go, okay? So this actually goes by the days of the month, goes to 31. Okay, these are the different accounts that you might spend things in, and you could do this manually for somebody that wants to do this. So just keep track of how you're using your expenses. The blank worksheets, as I said, are right in the book. Okay? Now, here's a big topic, a huge topic about what the Bible teaches about debt. Okay? I mentioned to you before, things have changed. Our attitudes toward debt have completely changed. Okay? And um, <clears throat> we might have to learn sometimes now to reshape our attitudes about debt, debt. But this is what God says about debt. The Bible considers debt as slavery. Okay? This is not the only verse. There are a lot of them. You can go look it up. But you're going to see many times that in the Old Testament, when Bible talks about debt, it considers this a kind of bondage, a kind of slavery. Okay? It also considers debt a curse. Okay, the Bible also suggests that taking on debt presumes upon tomorrow. You know what I mean when I say that? It presumes upon tomorrow. If we're really self-controlled, right, we actually can wait, choose to wait for God to be able to make resources available before we buy something and see if it's in his will, see if the resources are going to be provided. We can do that. Or we can presume upon tomorrow and take on debt, purchase and do whatever we want, okay, without giving God the opportunity of seeing first, can he provide, okay? Now, these rules are not absolute. You're going to say, you're going to see that, you know, we need to talk about debt. Not all debt is equivalent, okay? But there, you know, this is one of the ideas, though, that sometimes for us actually buying things that we really can't afford does presume upon God's ability to be able to provide for us. And we have to ask ourselves, is this really a heart issue? Is this really a heart issue that is motivating me to think about doing this right now? Okay? So the, this is learned counsel on debt. So this is not on the level of quoting 
Bible verses. Okay? This is, you're going to learn the counsel, seeking counsel is an important thing in learning to help us manage our money. And this is counsel that is coming from wise, spiritual Christian people about how we should think about debt, okay? We need to consider how debt may deny God opportunities in life. I remember reading a beautiful story about, about you know, one of my heroes, Francis Schaeffer, his wife, the missionaries in Switzerland after the war, no money. They felt that they should stay there. Buy, they needed to buy a chalet. They didn't have any money. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying. It comes down to the 11th hour. No money. They think God's will must be changing. And then in a half hour, through miraculous sets of affairs, suddenly the money shows up for them actually to be able to buy the chalet. Okay? Now, they didn't have a choice to go into debt. They didn't have any collateral. Okay? But God still provided. And if we're going to consider taking on debt, how many times do we actually um, deny God the opportunity? So there are three fundamental criteria of taking on debt. This is the advice. This is not in the Bible, but this is sound advice of the kind of debt that would be biblically permissible in the spirit of the Bible. Okay? The first one is, is that the item purchased is an asset with the potential to appreciate or produce an income. In essence, the idea is for whatever you're spending, you're going to be getting more. You have the potential of getting more in the end than what you're going to spend. And that potential has to be there. The second point is, is that the value of the, the item exceeds the amount owed against it. It's the same idea, but you know, it's a matter of time. Okay, one has a time component in it. The other, the other one is that the debt should not be so high so the payments puts undue strain on the spending plan, okay? Now, this is the one probably where a lot of believers are going to be most guilty of. They wind up taking on debt that they think that they can manage, and it, it turns out when they take on the debt, they turn out that things happen in life, and they're under the burden of the debt and don't know what to do about it. So if you're going to think about this now, what this really means is probably that for most of us, permissible debt is going to be something like a business loan, or a mortgage for a house. And pretty much, that's it. Okay? You're going to buy a car on debt? Well, that doesn't grow in value in time. That actually loses value as soon as you drive off the, the, the dealer's parking lot with it, right? So, like I said, in, in, in this area, there are things even in my life that I'm learning. Earlier in life, I had more debt than just a mortgage. Okay? But now we've worked to the point that I have no other debt in life other than a mortgage. And even that has become increasingly irritating, right? That, that that is there and looking for ways where that could be managed better. But, you know, especially for our younger people, this is something that young folks really need to consider. You know, when you choose to put money on a credit card, and any, any, you can get a credit card before you graduate. We all know that, Okay that people can start choosing to put money on that stuff before you're even earning, that these are the kind of choices that we have to make along the way about what we're actually doing. So let's suppose that one does have a lot of debt and you want to learn how to get rid of it. So there's strategies for learning how to do this. You might all know about the snowball strategy. You know what that is? Snowball strategy, right? So it's actually doing an assessment of the debt that you have figuring out how much you owe and finding the things that actually are at the highest interest rate and paying the thing down that is the least amount of money at the highest interest rate. But the idea is that whatever you had, whatever, let's just say, for example, your, your monthly debt load is $500. So I'm just making that up. $500 debt load. You've got to pay that every month. So you're going to find a way to pay the lowest thing down first, and that debt is gone. Now you're going to continue contributing $500 a month. You're not going to stop just because that debt is gone. Now you're going to take what you would have contributed toward that debt and you're going to put that towards the next highest debt, which in this case, so what's happening here? They got 100 bucks at 18%, 100 bucks at 18%, okay, and 20 bucks at, at, at 7%. You know, probably the, the advice would have been in this case, you're actually going to pick the lowest one, the 20 bucks at 7%, get, get rid of that. Get rid of that. You know why? That's going to make you feel really good. When you actually, you know, because it's about building momentum and it's a mental thing. You're going to feel really good about getting rid of that debt, but the money that you would put into paying that down, you're going to take that next amount of money and now apply it to the next thing. So we look on the list, and the thing after that actually is we have $20 at 18%. That's 
that's the next thing that that's going to go after until that's paid down. You're going to take the sum of both of those, apply it to the next thing, okay? And use that as a way to be actively reducing whatever. But you can only start by finding out first what your total debt is. For a lot of us, you know what, it might be so painful. I'd rather just pay the monthly amount and really not know what, what, what all the details are behind it. Well, you know what? This is part of self-control. Now's the time we've got to start you know, um, figuring this stuff out. So, right. So, I don't want to underestimate this point. People might laugh at this, but this is not a laughing matter. You want to get out of debt, one of the places to start is praying. Okay? And this is an example, do you remember from 2 Kings, when the woman was going to lose her two sons as a result of reclaiming a debt. You you, you remember that story? She was on the verge of losing her two sons because of a debt that she couldn't pay and they were going to become and take in her sons. And the Bible gives an example of how she prayed and how the Lord opened up a path for her that she did not lose her two sons as a result of this debt. Sometimes we say, oh yeah, you know, everybody says go pray. Just go pray. Yeah, exactly. Okay, because prayer has a role of actually changing our hearts and our wants and our tastes and all kinds of other things. So this is where it starts. Okay, I already made this point. You know, consider selling what it is that you're not using. Do you have any assets that can be converted into cash that you can use into paying off your debt? Okay, the snowball strategy we already talked about. Okay, there's always the option to consider additional earnings at times for a period of time to be able to get out of a burden of debt. I'm not encouraging people to work their life away. Actually, I'm encouraging people to do the opposite. When you see later, we're going to get there, okay? This is not to work your life away, but there might be some times in life where we need to consider finding additional income as a means of getting rid of debt. And when that happens, then life gets to a different place. Of course, controlling the use of plastic. Many husbands are saying, thank you, Brother Scott. Thank you, Brother Scott. For Okay, well, who, you know, who uses the plastic? We all use the plastic. Okay, but maybe this is, this is one of the biggest temptations actually that we have, that some people will go to the point of cutting up plastic, reducing it. So, so if you want to learn to live in your means, one way is, is obviously to not live on credit in any way, right? If you're going to move toward cash and move toward paying for cash for things, you know, when there's too much month left over at the end of the money, okay, you're going to have to make do until the next month, right? Because there's, there's nothing else to use. That is a level of discipline that we can potentially gain. And of course, this huge one is to learn how to live more contentedly with what we have. That's a mouthful, to actually learn how God has provided and why do we think that we need more? Why do we feel that something would put us in a better position if we got this and this and that, when we really reflect on how the great provider has provided for us? And of course, to consider a radical change in lifestyle. Okay, and... um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that we're going to have more and more younger people and younger couples that will choose to have radical changes in lifestyle to put themselves in a better position to be kingdom workers from the consumer-oriented, lavish, luxurious lifestyles that might have been you know, part of even our church culture in some way, shape, or form. Okay? And a big one here is, of course, if you want to change things with the debt that you have, is that you don't give up. You've got to plot. There's going to be times of discouragement. There's going to be times that you're going to want to give up or do something else, but don't. We have to learn to be a plotter in faith. A plotter. To just keep on going, doing the right things, one step after the other, to keep on going and move toward where we need to be. Now, this is another explanation of the snowball strategy. I already went through that, but you can get that on the PPT if you want to look at that uh, more. So the next thing, of course, is actually to, uh, you know, in a radical lifestyle change, is to reorient a spending plan. You might know how you did spend your money, but how do you want to spend your money? And can you plan that out? Can you do that in a way where you can start to make adjustments in some ways that are premeditated and planned rather than they just happen? So you know what most people do with their spending plans? It's quite simple. They don't have one. And the way that it works is this. As long as there's enough money there, nobody has to pay attention as to what you spend your money on, right? It's only when suddenly there's not enough money there that that people are forced to start to look. And they'll do that for a period of time Okay, we might get serious with this until something else changes, and then suddenly there's enough money there, and then we we don't go looking at it again, okay, because there's enough money there, okay, until there's not enough money there, 
Okay, and then again, we go back and look at this. Well, this is gaining the discipline of not going through those kinds of, uh, those kinds of cycles back and forth, about developing some kind of a plan. And the purpose of this, the whole purpose of this is, I think, is, is it on the next, it's not the next slide, we'll, we'll get there. The purpose of this, and let me find it, is it on this one? Well, of course, one part of it is, is to make sure that your living expenses is obviously less than the income. That's one part of it. But this is also a means to be able to see, how am I going to start in kingdom work now? With the surplus that I have there, monthly, how am I going to decide to use that? Yes, maybe partially for putting away for a rainy day. That's part of being responsible. But how am I going to start to use that surplus in an active way to be a yoke fellow with the Lord in kingdom work and the joy that comes along with that and realizing it's not about me it's about him it's about his work it's about other things that he actually wants us to be able to move toward okay seeking wise counsel is an important thing especially when we're on the verge of making investments we're considering making a major purchase of course to consider the scripture of course to consider godly people now I actually, I feel bad to have to say this, okay? But I know examples. I know examples where serious purchases have been made and a spouse was actually not really part of the decision. Okay, that's really sad. That's really sad. Because our spouse is meant to be given to us as actually a primary counselor in our life. Our first-line counselor is either our parents, okay, or our spouse, Okay? And then it goes beyond there. Okay? And if we actually don't have agreement with our spouse on something, the first thing is that we have to find agreement with our spouse before we move on to the next step. Of course, um, you know, when I put this in here about parents, I meant this two ways. If you are living in your parents' house, of course, consulting your parents about things is always a wise thing to do. If you are no longer under your parents' authority, you know, consulting your parents about things is a wise thing to do. Okay? So, you know, there's always good things in the strength in number when more than one is seeing something and, and agreeing that this would be a good thing. Seeking those with experience. Other people that have done this kind of thing before. Other people that have really sound judgment in financial matters, okay, that actually can see through things deeper than you and I might be. Tap into them and try to use them. And, of course, the idea at the end is, is that in a multitude of counselors, there's peace. You know, if you can find a way that there's harmony, consensus coming from many other people, there is a level of peace that we can also have that, you know, maybe the Lord is opening a path for a given thing to, uh, to be able to happen. Okay, and of course, direct counsel from the Lord. At the end of the day, we need to have a conviction. We should have a conviction about something that we need to do, Okay. And, and I'll tell you, like, the way this works, just a two-minute testimony, one-minute testimony. When, we, when, when I was considering thinking about opening up Timber Ridge Ranch, the horse ministry that we have, I hid this in my heart for a year as the Lord was speaking with me and kind of refining my ideas. And at some point, I shared this with Miriam. She was open to consider it. And at some point, I decided that I was going to share this with our then-unconverted sons, right? Was Jacob converted then? Okay, Jacob was converted. Lucas was not yet converted at that point. But we decided that we were going to share this with them. Okay, and when I shared this with my sons, okay, Jacob told me, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but in the past six months, God has been talking to me about exactly the same thing, about starting a horse ministry. No, and I decided in my heart, Miriam and I, did, we were not going to do this unless actually as a family we were committed to do this. Okay? And it turned out that we were committed to do it as a family. You know, Lucas was not in faith, but Lucas' opinion still count, counted. Okay? And, and, and you know, as when we adopted our two girls, our boys had a voice in the fostering and in the adopting of those that would become their, you know, their sisters and so on. They had a voice in that. And, and so we decided to do this as a family. And for me, that was also part of the counsel of the Lord, you know, that I knew that those that were closest to me viewed this the same way. In whatever their spiritual maturity was, they actually viewed this the same way. And God is good. Okay, so 
I've provided a guide here also for some of you who might be interested is, you know, if you want to look on a percentage basis, how should I typically be spending money on things? Now, there's some variation that goes into this, but this is just a basic guideline to show you, you know, from, from learned uh, Christian counselors, these are some of the, uh, you know, suggested percentages that you actually might want to consider as guidelines for, you know, the kind of uh, uh, things that you actually spend your money on. Just a reference, because I thought it might help. Okay? Honesty. So we're gonna, I'm going to blow through, um, actually, some of these all at once over here. Oh, too quick. Okay, so one of the character things that is really um, strengthened even more and more with this is that all our dealings need to be completely honest. Completely honest before God and before men. And, you know, if anybody has done things in an underhanded way that has somehow earned them a buck, well, you're going to see later what the, you know, well, sorry, it says it right here. You know what? You know, we can't practice dishonesty and love our neighbor. We can't practice dishonesty and say that we love God. Those things are intimately related with each other. They're one and the same thing, you know? So being committed to complete integrity as we go about using our financial things is something that, that uh, God uh, really, really expects us to do further character development on. Now, about giving, you know, um, <clears throat> this is the whole goal with this, right? As you learn to manage your money better, you have more to give. You've got more to give. That's the whole idea. You've got more to give away. Yeah, somebody asked me, Brother Scott, are you suggesting that this is all about a redistribution of wealth? Um, uh, actually, I think that it is. And no, I'm not a Marxist, okay? No, that's, 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 not, that's not what the idea is behind this. I'm a kingdom worker, okay? And it's not mine, okay? But the idea behind this is a certain level of a redistribution of wealth. Giving increases our character when sometimes we can put the joys of other people and the things that bring God pleasure that's more important, actually, than the things that might bring me pleasure in life, Okay? Giving, of course, makes heavenly deposits. The Bible teaches us, right, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, and that there's treasure that's going to be stored up for us in heaven. We're choosing when and where, effectively, we're going to be making the investments and things that are not ours to begin with. And this is the way the basic cycle works, that if we give and see God meet a need, or we can't give and we see God meet a need, then God meets the need. And then that leads to some level of increase that we have, and then we give again. And watch, excuse me, with, with the giving, watch God meet the need. Okay? And then God meets the need. And then there's a level of increase. Then the increase we give again. Okay? And keep on going through this circle of bringing things before the Lord, watching Him lay out the things in life to meet the need, and then use that as a faith-building experience to mature and grow further in faith, okay? And, of course, a cycle of giving provides dividends on earth. When we learn how to do this over and over again, there will be more people who can be uh, shown love, more people who can be confronted with the gospel, more people that can be given the opportunity to consider their own uh, salvation, the, uh, more, more uh, uh, ability to be able to help our brothers and sisters in need when those things arise, okay? These are all things, actually, that are clear earthly deposits that are made along the same line. Our approaches to giving, okay? The Bible teaches that it should be periodic. In the, in the, in the New Testament church, when did they give? They gave of the first fruits of the first day of the week, Okay? That's the way the pattern was, okay? Giving should be personal, okay? So this is another kind of thing that, that you know, I want to give in a way, I, I, I would like to give in a way where I can see that God is actually using what I gave to meet a need. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't give to any institutional organizations. I do at times. And I, I, there's no direct relationship between what I give and what they do, right? I can't see that. Um, but there are times that I think God also wants me to be active with my giving to meet needs in my community, with my neighbors, with those that are immediately part of my faith community, with those that really are uh, right around me. And I've found that there are many, many needs right around you that are sometimes unseen. People that live in all kinds of darkness that could be your next-door neighbor, and you just don't see it. 
and we might see things that are further away. We have a responsibility to all, okay? Of course, our giving should be out of our private deposits. Sometimes people want to be active in giving away other people's money because they can, okay? But obviously, this is to come out of our private deposits of things that's any real giving. Okay, and giving should be a priority. Now we're gonna we're gonna uh, look at that in a minute. I think on the next page. Okay, and our giving should be premeditated. That doesn't mean that it can't be on the spot, but our giving should be planned out and premeditated. So this is what it might look like. Okay, <clears throat> yeah. giving should be without pride. You know, not expecting that we return things in advance. So here's one thing that I I learned from somebody. We we exercised this a few times in Syracuse. And that's that, you know what, here's one way to do it without pride. If somebody needs something and you're going to give them money, you just give it to them. You give it to them. You don't ask for the money back. If God is, 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 is motivating you to give in a certain way, you give. Okay? There have been people that have come before with, with bona fide needs and they've asked actually for a loan from the church. Okay? You said in the beginning, the quickest way to lose friends, other people have said, is to lend the money, right? All kinds of things can come from that. So I sort of have a principle that when there are those kinds of needs, you don't loan the money to people. If you feel the heart is moving you, you give the money to the people. You give it to them without any expectation for return. If it turns out that they do in the end and you want to give that again, you go ahead and do it. I'll never forget when the ACCNBC was happening, you know, with ACCF, we had a bunch of meetings about this. I was talking with a, a Mennonite lawyer in Ontario. I was involved with the foundation at that point. And we were talking for ways to keep this thing tax exempt and da, 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 da. And you know what this guy said to me at one point in time? He said, Scott, you know, I got to tell you, I, I, I don't understand you apostolics. I don't understand you apostolics. Why are you so consumed with the tax exemption that you get from this? I don't get it. If God, if God is, is motivating you to give, why don't you just give? What difference does it make about whether or not you've got the thing set up to give you able to get, get the receipt? You know, it seems to me like you apostolics are a little bit consumed you know, with this idea of, of getting, of getting the, 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 the thing back. Now, I get, in other circles, people think differently. I mean, somebody has a need, they, they, they just give. And that, in my view, at least is a way of considering doing things without any kind of pride. Okay, giving it away from the heart that we think is genuine. So this is a percentage spending plan, and I just want to point out with this, you notice that the first thing that's at the top of this plan is what? What the giving is going to be. You don't do the expenses and figure out the giving at the bottom. You plan out on the top level down what is the giving going to be, okay, and then from there you actually think about how the rest of the money is going to wind up being spent. Okay, of course... We have to work for this. And remember, God's part. God's part and our part in doing the work. God, of course, gives us the skills that we can use to even make a living. This is not something we developed on our own. How many of us are wondering, you know, what would happen to my family if I would lose my health? If the breadwinner would lose their health, okay? And the kind of crisis that might put things into. Every morning that we make up and we're actually healthy enough to go out and work, and make a living is a direct gift from God of his part of what we can do. To remember that God gives the success in what we do. The failures are ours. We own them. The success is his. That's just the way it works. That's just the way it works. It's that simple. Okay? God's, God controls promotions and additional responsibilities that we get in life. They're not things that you and I can really influence in any deep way. He's the one that's really in control of these things. And we have to trust that in his great plan, he's going to work this all out. Now, on our part, of course, we have to do hard work. We have to be honest in the work that we do. But don't overwork. Don't overwork. Okay? There's a great lyric that's out right now in a country song that doesn't come to me. But, you know, work that job. Here it is, you know. Work that job, but don't work your life away. As a father giving advice to his son, son, you work that job, but don't work your life away. Okay? Obviously, there are certain responsibilities that employers have. Not everybody's an employer, so I'm not going to go through that. This is for reference. You can look at responsibilities that employees have. You know, they're all part of our honesty and our faithfulness and our responsibilities that are, that are 
um, our part of doing the work. Okay, investing. Yes, there should be the thought to invest. Okay, and there's some guidance in this, but there's a lot more guidance in this thing about biblical ways of making good investments. But I do want to emphasize this point, finding a balance for investing and giving. Do, do, do you live in a church, actually, that's had... Um, I'm making this number up now. but I'm, really, I'm, I'm making this up and I'm making this scenario up. That they've had, for 20 years, they've had $70,000 tucked away for when we need to redo the parking lot. Okay? And 20 years later, the $70,000 is still there and we still never redid the parking lot. Sometimes those things come about. In our planning, in our wanting to be responsible and faithful... We tuck things away, but then we never live those plans through. And then we ultimately have to find the balance between saving, investing, and giving. And, and is, that, is, is that really working out you know, with God's conviction of the way that we should do that? And of course, no matter when we invest, the principle always is in the Bible to give generously. To give generously with whatever we invest. Now, I'm going to propose some you know, lifestyle changes too. So, you know, Miriam and I, we've, we, we are in the process of going through several lifestyle changes, okay? So this is one of them. When we started Timber Ridge Ranch, eventually, eventually, I know I have in my mind and heart that God, even when I retire, that, like this is going to be my retirement. If the Lord provides, and I have life and breath, okay? I'm not going to Florida. Sorry, brothers. Okay, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to Phoenix. I'm not going to these places. You know, I'm going to be working at the horse ranch in central New York, okay? And in order to be able to do that, I know that we have to be able to live as inexpensively as we possibly can at that point when I'm not making any money anymore, okay? So we're periodically going through shifts in our lifestyle with even investing in kinds of things, the heating system that we have and have, the things that we do at the ranch to be able to see how could we potentially, when I retire, live as inexpensively as we possibly could such that the work of the ministry could actually continue. And that's not something that you're just going to do like this. I know, I know that God probably has us on a 15 or 20-year journey learning how to make lifestyle changes that ultimately are going to be in a way that can more support, in my little corner of the world, the kind of kingdom work that I'm compelled to engage in. Okay? And, um, you know, we, we moved into a place that has a house in it that none of us like. We don't like the house we're living in. We didn't buy the place because of the house. We bought the place because of the property. Okay? We had just finished doing things on the house. We got the house just the way we wanted. Then we sold the house and moved into a place we don't even like. Okay, that took time for us to be able to come to that point of doing it. God had to lead us on a journey, including a sick horse and a horse that died and all kinds of other things that were along the way of getting us to understand, you know what, you've got to live at the property. You have to be there where the ministry is. You have to be willing to let go of that house. This is the house that's there. Be content. You know, learn, learn to manage it. Okay, and these things come hard. Things don't come easy. They come hard in trying to make these, and I know that these are not the only changes that God has in mind for me. There's a pattern of many, many more changes that probably he's asking me to make along these lines. So the other thing is, is that we can get into problems of some of us, of compulsions, that we actually can't even enjoy the things that God has permitted us to. Okay? That is not spiritually healthy. God wants us to be able to enjoy the things that are in his will. He wants us to be able to have a place where we can entertain. He wants us to be able to spend time with other people. He wants us at times to be able to break away and go to some place where we might spend some money on ourselves to get away from the rat race, to be able to recharge our batteries. Okay, it's not that those things are wrong, okay? But we also have to learn to enjoy the things that God has permitted. Did he permit it? You know, is it consistent with his plans for me in my life? And then if the answer is yes, I'm going to learn to enjoy, really enjoy what God has actually provided for. And to make an effort to live more simply, okay? So um, I'm telling you, you know, my kids are annoyed, maybe my wife is somewhat annoyed, but I'm becoming a student of the Amish, becoming a student of Mennonites that are in our, you know, and other people that have learned to live more simply with what they do. I'm not sure that they're, they're not doing that to actually be kingdom workers, I don't think. They have a different motive for doing it, Okay. 
but I'm trying to learn lessons of them, of how can we adjust and make lifestyle changes that actually would be more consistent with living more simply. And then, of course, learning that, you know what, success is meaningless if it's apart from Jesus. We've all seen examples of that in our life. People that have made loads of money and they're very unhappy. We can get through life with actually making much, much less, but being so completely contented in our kingdom, in God's kingdom agenda, and, and, and being a willing participant in this for, for his purposes, that life carries a different tone and a different voice. And of course, to not be conformed to the world. So the, the, there's a, a kind of a map in here, right, that you can look at of taking a kind of journey. So let me tell you where it starts here, because you can't read it. The first point is maybe creating emergency savings. Things can happen in life, and we could be without a job for six months. It happens, okay? Are there some reserves there to be able to bridge that gap? Okay, then paying off all the credit cards. Paying off all the consumer debt, if there is any consumer debt. The next point is, you know, to save for any major purchases, like a house or something like that, okay? The next step along the way in yellow, that I can hardly read, is, can't read that one either, You have to get this yourself and read what destination number five says, okay, because I can't read it with the poor resolution of, of the, the yellow on the other thing, okay? Then paying off your home mortgage and then you know, moving into a space where you have no more debt and then the resources that God has given you can much more actively be channeled into God's kingdom agenda. So that's the basic, the basic presentation that I have here, eternity's views in mind. You know, eternity is long, and we're just pilgrims here, and we leave it all behind. We know all this stuff, okay? But does it have an active role in who we are and what we think?